Well, if you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at chapter 7 this morning. That's found on page 914. We're going to read the entire chapter, and I'm warning you ahead of time, it's a long chapter. It'll probably take me about five or six minutes to read through it. So don't fall asleep. Don't ignore it. This is a beautiful description of God's faithfulness, his faithfulness in the past. And as, as Nathan has mentioned, you'll see how all of these things that Stephen refers to point to Christ, how they are satisfied in Christ. So what we're looking at is, is this is Stephen's response. Remember two weeks ago we looked at Stephen and there were false accusations made against him. There were lies made against him. And Stephen, Stephen was one of the first deacons. He was one of the seven men chosen who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were full of, of grace and power. And Stephen was witnessing about Jesus. And Stephen's testimony about Jesus and the testimony of the early church, they put them, it was put on a collision course with the powers that be, the powerful religious leaders. See, the message of Christ and the message of the gospel, this was a threat to these religious leaders. It was a threat to their way of life. See, the reason is because Jesus, as we sung, Jesus was a true and better Adam. Jesus was the true and better Moses. Jesus was the true and better temple. And these men made their living from the temple, from the sacrifices in the temple. And Jesus was the fulfillment of these sacrifices. Jesus was the great high priest. And all believers now had access to God, not through the temple, not through the sacrifices, but through Christ. They didn't need the temple and the sacrifices to approach to approach God. So these leaders, they were frustrated. They were unable to answer Stephen's Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom. So they did as they instigated men to make up lies and to give false allegations against Stephen. They charged Stephen with blasphemy, which was not true, speaking against Moses, which was not true, and speaking against the temple, which was not true. So what we see here is Stephen's response to these charges. And just listen to, again, the, the, the beautiful way that, that the Holy Spirit leads uh, Stephen to the specific scripture to respond to. So Acts chapter 7, hear now the word of the Lord. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners, in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nations that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him, and rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. 
But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. And there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who the Israelites, who, to the Israelites that God will raise up for you a prophet like me to your brother, from your brothers. This is the one who, had, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, 
the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua when they deposed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to, to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the example of your servant, Stephen. Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that filled Stephen, Lord, that you will fill us, that you will speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that your Spirit will be with me as I go through this sermon, and I pray we will hear from you. We will have an encounter with you. We will be changed by you more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his glory we pray. Amen. Well, as we've seen throughout the the book of Acts, the Lord Jesus Christ, before his ascension to heaven, He gave a charge to his church, and this charge applies to us here, just as as much as it did to his original apostles. And this charge, we've talked about in every sermon, this is the theme verse of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just like Stephen, power from the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses, just like Stephen was a witness, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are the witnesses here to the ends of the earth. See, all Christians, all Christians are called to be witnesses for Christ. This is our charge. This is our mission. And sometimes this witnessing will be easier. Sometimes it will be harder. Some people will receive the good news with joy and and with thanksgiving, while others will hate us, will hate our witness. Some of us will face opposition. Some of us will face intense opposition. And my friends, there there are some brothers and sisters who will actually face martyrdom. Even even today, face martyrdom for their witness for Christ. In fact, according to Voices of the Martyrs, 
They say more Christians today are facing persecution for their faith and facing martyrdom than any time else in church history. Just let that sink in. More martyrs today than any time in church history. Some of us in this room, some of us who hear my voice, may find themselves in that position as Stephen was. And the per persecution today comes really for the same reason that it did for Stephen. It's because Christianity is a threat to those in power. Christianity is a threat to those in power. See, Christianity teaches that Christ alone is Lord. Christianity teaches that God, not us, God is sovereign. And Christ demands, Christ demands to be first in our lives. Christ demands our highest allegiance. Christ comes before government. That's what gets Christians in trouble in, in totalitarian regimes. Christ comes before the, the false religions of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. And this gets Christians in trouble in theocratic states. And Christ becomes, comes before the idol of self, self-autonomy. And that gets us in trouble here in the secular West. So the reality is this. If we are faithful witnesses of the gospel, and we are faithful witnesses of Christ, we will face opposition. And Stephen here provides for us a model. A model for how we are to respond when, not if, but when, we face opposition for our witnessing. And the most important thing we need to see here about Stephen's response is that Stephen is guided every step of the way he is guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is filled with him. And this is a Holy Spirit-filled response. And for this passage to be a model for us, we must be like Stephen. We too must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We too must be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, it goes without saying that in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must belong to Christ. We must be a new creation, born again by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we must not only proclaim the gospel for others, we actually must cling to the gospel. Every single one of us cling to the gospel ourselves as our only hope. I'm just as much as anyone else here. As we say in our membership vows, we must acknowledge ourselves as sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy. And then we must receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone as he is offered in the gospel. So if any here, any who could hear my voice do not belong to Christ, your only application of this sermon or any Christian sermon or any sermon that you hear preached is to come to Christ. So unless you belong to Christ, unless you, you have the Holy Spirit, as all Christians do, you will not be able to follow this model. You will not be able to follow the example of Stephen when you face opposition. But even if you are a Christian, even if you ha have had a saving encounter with Christ, it's still possible. And sadly, I, I believe this describes the majority of Christians. It's still possible to live like and to think like an unbeliever. It's still possible for us to quench the Spirit's leading, and to, to walk by sight rather than faith. And my friends, we must be constantly, we must be constantly in prayer every step of the way, every step of the process as we witness for Christ. Just as we talked about Travis is going, to be, is going to be in this debate, every step of the way as he's preparing for this debate, he needs to be in prayer, and we need to be in prayer for him as well. We need to, have the Holy, we need to seek the Holy Spirit's leading. We need to seek the Holy Spirit's power. So here's the model that we see in Stephen. Here, here is the outline. If you, if you outline service, here's the outline of where we're going today. What we see here is the Holy Spirit gives first guidance through Scripture. Guidance through Scripture. 
The Holy Spirit gives boldness and confrontation when confrontation is necessary. And third, the Holy Spirit gives us confidence in the outcome, confidence in the results. So it's guidance through Scripture, boldness in confrontation, and confidence in results. So let's start with this first point. The Holy Spirit gives guidance through Scripture. What we see here is 50 verses. 50 verses of Stephen giving his response to these allegations against him. And what does he give? It's all Scripture. He's either giving summaries of the account or, or actually even direct quotations of, from the prophets. But Stephen is not just reading Scripture. He's not just quoting Scripture in his response. The Holy Spirit is, is leading Stephen to the specific events, the specific people, the specific details in Scripture to address the situation that Stephen finds himself in. And here's an important point. We can think of Scripture, think of your Bibles as, as the medium through which the Holy Spirit communicates to us. Many of us want, want, to, want to hear from God. We say, God, speak to me. God gives us the Bible, and the Holy Spirit directs, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It's similar to what I was, was talking to the kids about. The, General Washington was telling them where to go, but they, they needed to have the map. They needed to understand the, the land. If they didn't know where they were going, it would make no sense for them. The, 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 they, they had to go through the medium of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit uses the Scripture to speak to us. And this is what we saw for Stephen, and this is what we see for us. See, the Holy Spirit give, gave Stephen these insights and, and these applications from these biblical events. Insights and, and applications that were needed for the specific situation that Stephen found himself in. And Stephen here is... is, is is really to, to highlight what the error of his opponents were as well. So I'm going to just give a few examples. Be, be, be confident. I'm not going to go through every 50 verses of this. We would be here, we'd go through the, the, the shower and we'd be here till the evening service. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to give a couple of examples from here. So we notice that Stephen starts the speech with the patriarch Abraham. So why would he start with Abraham? Well, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He was the first Jew. And Stephen, what he does here, he emphasizes that God called Abraham, not when he was in the promised land, not when he was in the temple, but outside the promised land, before there was even a temple. And he called Abraham to be a sojourner, a sojourner. See, God's promise and call was, 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 was for the long term. It was a long term plan. And it wouldn't be fulfilled for many generations. And there was a covenant that, that was made with Abraham and made with his descendants. And we see it was marked out by the covenant sign of circumcision which we talked about a little bit last week when we did the baptisms. But then we see in the third generation, after Abraham, third generation after Abraham, we see opposition to this plan, to God's plan. And surprisingly, it doesn't come from the outside, but it comes from the inside. It comes from inside the covenant community. We see this in verse 9, with the opposition to Joseph by his brothers. His brothers. See, Joseph was God's chosen deliverer for his people to save them from the famine. But God's deliverer was opposed, opposed by his own brothers. And why? It says because they were jealous of him. And this theme that we see, this theme of opposition to God's anointed deliverer from, with, um, from within, this continues throughout Stephen's sermon. We see this again with Moses. See, Moses was God's chosen instrument to lead his people out of slavery to, to, uh, from the slavery to the Egyptians. And then verses 27 and 28, we see the rejection of Moses by the Hebrew slaves. See, Moses came and he was the deliverer, and he defended the slaves against the Egyptian, killed the Egyptian. And the next day he comes and he sees these men 
arguing. And he tries to separate. He says, men, you are brothers. Why are you quarreling? And they look at him. They reject him. They say, who made you ruler and judge over us? He was rejected by the people he was sent to save. And Stephen, under the, Holy, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives these examples to make a connection. A connection with the opposition to Christ. The opposition to the church received not from the outside, but from those within the covenant community, from the Jewish religious leaders. See, they should have been the first ones, the first ones to recognize Christ, but they're the ones who are rejecting him. Just like Joseph's brothers, just like the Hebrew slaves rejected Moses. And the rebellion against Moses and against God is seen further in, in the worship of the golden calf, which shows here the corruption of their worship. The corruption of this worship is further applied to the temple itself. And Stephen ends the sermon in, in verses 49 and 50 with a quote from Isaiah to show that God is not confined to a temple, as these Jewish leaders thought, that, that you can only get to God through this temple. Stephen is showing them that the temple and the tabernacle, and as great as these things were, they were never intended to last forever. But they always pointed, pointed to something greater. They pointed to the true and greater temple. They pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the temple. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. And Stephen, so Stephen and, and, and these religious leaders, they both knew scripture. They all knew scripture. But Stephen, Stephen was converted. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guided Stephen through the Scripture to have an, an accurate understanding and an accurate understanding and, and, and vision of God's plan and a correct application of this plan and this Scripture to Stephen's specific situation. And my friends, this is why it's essential. This is why it's essential for us as Christians to have a deep and an intimate knowledge of Scripture. Because Scripture is the medium through which the Holy Spirit speaks to us, through which the Holy Spirit directs us to fulfill our mission as Christ's witnesses. See, it, it's, we're in a battle. And if, if we do not have Scripture, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we are, we are lost in this battle. We, we, we are not able to fulfill the calling that God has given to us. So this is the first point, that the Holy Spirit gives guidance through Scripture. Our second point is the Holy Spirit gives us boldness Boldness and confrontation with those who oppose God. And we see this in verses 51 through 53. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, but you did not keep it. See, through his study of Scripture and from the insights that the Holy Spirit had given to him, Stephen understood what was going on. He understood God's plan. He knew that these leaders here, they were opposing God, just like those who were, just like Joseph and Moses and those who, who opposed the prophets. And he knew that they were ultimately opposing God. And Stephen knew that they must be confronted. The revelation and the insights given to him this gave Stephen a boldness. It gave him a clarity in confronting these powerful men. And these were men who obviously had the power to beat them, had the power to imprison them, had the power to even kill them. And my friends, there, there, there is so much deception in the world today. See, Satan, the God of this world, he, he has blinded so many, so many to the lies, to believe these lies. 
to believe that, that God is not real. That the only things that are real are the things you can see with your eyes or the things you see on TV or the thing the culture is telling you. And Satan has deceived us into believing that God is not sovereign, to believe that God is not holy, that God will not judge. And a result, the, the people of this fallen world, what they do is they blaspheme God. They blaspheme the precious God, our precious God, continuously. And my friends, this must be confronted. Now we hope and we pray that this confrontation will, will awaken the lost from their slumber so that they too can become aware of this devil's deception, that they too can repent of their sin and repent of their blasphemy and, and, and receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone and God's mercy and then become brothers and sisters and, and co-laborers in our mission. This is our prayer for all who oppose God. Our prayer is not their destruction. Our prayer is their conversion. But my friends, even if, even if our confrontation does not result in their conversion, we still must boldly confront. We still must proclaim the truth. We still must stand up for God's truth, defend and acknowledge Christ's honor, regardless of the outcome. And when we do this, regardless of the outcome, Christ is glorified. And this brings us to our last point. We saw that Christ, we saw that the Spirit gives us guidance through Scripture. He gives us boldness in confrontation. And lastly, he gives us comfort in the results. You see, from a worldly perspective, Stephen's defense is a failure. If you were looking at this from the outside, this event from the outside, you may think God had abandoned Stephen. You may think that Stephen was guilty and Stephen got what he deserved. At this moment, things do not look good for Stephen. Stephen's bold confrontation of these leaders, it didn't get their attention. If anything, it made them matter and infuriated them. And they didn't even hear, they didn't even hear his, his divinely inspired insights. Verse 57 tells us they refused to listen. It says they, they cried out with a loud voice and, and stopped their ears so they could not even hear Stephen's words. So if you're looking at this event from the outside, you look at this event, it appears Stephen was a failure, an utter failure, and got what he deserved. But my friends, that would be a mistake. See, our eyes may see the physical, but Stephen, Stephen's eyes were opened to the spiritual. See, the Holy Spirit allowed Stephen to see the eternal realm, allowed Stephen to see true reality. See, even though Stephen was about to be brutally stoned to death, he was filled with peace. He was filled with joy. And why? Because he saw Christ. Look at verses 55 and 56. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. My friends, I can't imagine. I can't imagine a more glorious sight than this. I can't imagine a higher privilege. We see the, the, the Son of God. He's not sitting at the right hand. That, that's his normal position, sitting at the right hand. But he's standing. He's standing. Jesus Christ, the, the Savior and Redeemer, is not sitting, but standing. Now why? He's standing to give honor. He's standing to receive his faithful servants, Stephen. Wow. I mean, I can't think of a greater honor. The Lord's standing to receive his servants. And notice there's no fear in death here. There's no anguish. Stephen is literally being pelted by boulders. But his death here is described as peaceful as falling asleep. And not only is Stephen received into glory and, and honored by his faithful Savior, Stephen's given the grace in his dying, his dying breath to, to emulate his Savior, 
by praying for those who are killing him. This, my friend, this is not natural. This is not the natural way we react. We react with anger and hostility when people are angry and hostile to us. This is not natural. This is supernatural. Stephen's prayer was that the Lord would not hold this sin against him. These are men who would refuse to hear him, that are blaspheming God, that are lying about him, making up false accusations, and then killing him. And he's praying that the Lord would not hold this sin against them. I can't imagine that. That is supernatural. But you know what's even more amazing than this? It's even more amazing the Lord answered this prayer. And he answered this prayer in such a way that no one would even, could, could even fathom the way he would answer this prayer. Verse 58 tells us that the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Interesting way to to introduce a character who is going to be the most significant character moving forward in the book of Acts. This is how he's introduced. And we know from chapter 8 that Saul vehemently opposed the, the Christians. He, he approved of, Saul, of, of uh, Stephen's execution. We know he was zealously persecuting Christians. Now the text doesn't tell us explicitly, but I believe Saul was actually the ringleader in Stephen's death. I think that's why they, they laid their garments. He was the one in charge. And they were looking for his approval of what they did. I believe Stephen, if not the main one, was at least a major instigator of the crowd to get them riled up to kill Stephen. But God answers Stephen's prayer. Saul's sin of approving, and maybe even being the ringleader, a heinous sin of, of, of the execution of God's faithful servant. This was not held against him. Saul didn't receive God's judgment that he deserved, but rather he received God's grace. As we see in chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, he had a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this greatest persecutor of the church becomes the church's greatest missionary. This is the man other than Jesus Christ himself who has had the biggest impact on the Christian church. This is the Apostle Paul. My friend, God in his sovereignty has called very few, thankfully, very few of us to martyrdom, like he called Stephen. But each one of us, each one of us who belongs to Christ, like Stephen, is called to be a faithful witness to Christ. And my friends, this witness will bring some form of persecution to all of us. It will, be, it will bring some form of suffering. And when this happens, again, not if, but when this happens, we must fully rely through prayer on the Holy Spirit, to give us guidance through his word. Boldness, where there needs to be confrontation, and confidence, confidence to comfort us in whatever way he chooses for us, knowing that whatever we must endure, whatever we must suffer for his sake, will ultimately be for our good and his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the example of your servant Stephen. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here, Lord, that you will give us the grace the grace to follow you, to look to you, to look to you in your word, to be led by your Holy Spirit. Whatever your plan is for us, whatever you have ordained the path for us, that we will be faithful witnesses and we will be like Stephen. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.